There's nothing like happy barnyard sounds to bring a smile to an early Saturday morning. You're in with me, Jason Black, and this is the Bees for Bacon Show. It's a cooking show that, despite being inspired by bacon, hasn't featured a streaky rasher of it for the last 12 shows. But there is a show dedicated to all things deliciously coming soon. I promise. Right, today's show is the second part of our chicken and the egg series. And of course, it's all about the chicken, a.k.a. the chook, the fabulous fowl, brought to you by some of my spring chicken friends in the restaurant industry. This morning, and in no particular pecking order, we've got Chef Richard Eckebus bringing us some hefty weight to the chicken debate. Marie Rank of La Rotisserie talks about the benefits of slow roasting on a spit, and Chef Mike Van Warmelo does a gadget test. He'll also be sharing a Syrian Bedouin chicken dish, where they apparently cook the chicken on bread. I've got a book review as always, and then it's the end for Nando's in our alphabet soup today. And because I come from the land that made peri-peri chicken world famous, yes, that's South Africa's claim to culinary fame, I've put a recipe for the Portuguese favourite up on our Beers for Bacon Facebook page. But before crossing the road to find out the how and why of all things chicken, let's catch up with our resident wine guy, JC Viennes, who is at Vinexpo this week. Good morning, JC. Good morning, Jason. Yes, I am yet at another trade show. This time not in Italy, not in France, I am in Hong Kong. In fact, I am at this uh, big fair organized by the French called Vinexpo. Vinexpo happens here uh, in Hong Kong every second year. It's a big fair uh, and this year especially, actually, they have uh, 1,300 exhibitors, uh, each uh, trying to sell their wines and believe me, that means I was able to taste a lot of stuff uh, this week, actually. And in fact, since I know very well that your theme is chicken, last week was eggs, this week is chicken, I was looking for chicken wine uh, during this whole time that I was here. Uh, and I want to tell you about this, what I discovered. In fact, Jason, uh, there is more than chicken wine at this fair. As I said, there are 1,300 exhibitors. Uh, and this year, actually, Italy is the country of... Um, uh, honor. So that means even though it's organized by the French, they decided that the Italians needed help to sell more wine in China and they gave them a huge space in the, uh, uh, in the exhibition hall. It's pretty amazing actually, wines from all over Italy. And this morning I was at a special tasting uh, organized by the famous wine guide in Italy called Gambero Rosso. Gambero Rosso every year they have their own um, scoring system that is called the Tribicchieri, actually. Gambero Rosso, they don't give scores uh, like Robert Parker, 90 points, 95 points. And the Italians, they have decided here to give one um, bicchiere, one glass, two glass, three glasses. And here they have a roadshow. Uh, displaying all these uh, uh, winners of the top, top best wines of Italy, according to them, which is the Tri Bicchieri. And this morning, there were many different stands, and uh, I found something very nice uh, to pair beautifully with chicken. You know, Italy, I told you before, I think, 
What makes it so special is the diversity of regions, of course. Italy is a long country, um, but it's also the diversity of grape varieties, many, many different grapes in Italy. And one of my favorite actually makes a lovely, lovely wine, perfumed wine, fruity wine, and the grape is called Lacrima di Moro d'Alba. Lacrima di Moro d'Alba. This is the name of the grape. And this grape actually comes from an area called Marche, the province of Marche in Italy, and the region of Marche, I should say, sorry. Uh, and uh, this grape is so lovely because it's full of floral perfume, perfume that uh, reminds you of rose petal, but very fresh, blooming rose petal that you have just uh, picked from the garden. And it's uh, mixed together with some uh, lovely sweet spices, cinnamon, licorice, and there is also this aroma of peppermint, this incredible peppermint that uh, reminds me of my youth so much. It's incredible. Each time I have this grape, I smell it and I think of my grandmother. Why I think of my grandmother? Because when I was visiting her, to keep me quiet, she gave me these candies. These kin candies were, were, were pink, pink color, very bright pink, fuchsia pink, and they were round, quite small actually, and um, we put them in our mouth and they were tasting of peppermint, an incredible spicy, uh, peppery note, and at the same time so refreshing, uh, with a small, small uh, notes of uh, red cherries. It was so lovely. And these peppermints taste exactly the way this wine tastes. It's unbelievable. You know when I told you that wine should transport us, wine should give us emotions, well this is the same thing. Imagine this wine brings me back in my youth when I was seven or eight years old and I was visiting my grandmother and, and, and she gave me these things and it gives me such a good feeling. Wonderful. Anyway, Jason, the reason I suggest to you that Lacrima di Moro d'Alba, this beautiful wine, the pepperminty wine, floral wine, could be an excellent match to chicken, is that it's very little tannic. It's uh, almost not tannic at all. So it doesn't leave the mouth drying and grippy like these big red wines that you, you can find in other countries. And it's full of refreshing acidity. So it and, and, and there's a juiciness to this wine that is absolutely lovely. So it makes your mouth fresh, it makes your, uh, your mouth watery, and this is what you want with chicken, because you don't want an overpowering, uh, uh, too, uh, too big and powerful wine for chicken. You want something light, something gentle, something juicy, and uh, this lacrima is perfect. In Hong Kong, actually, the best importer of Italian wines all have this lacrima. And what is beautiful is that very few people know about it. But once you taste it, you fall in love with it, absolutely. Anyway, looking around uh, for this wine, I was walking the fair and I discovered actually something very interesting. I had never seen this before. Uh, two stands the one of New Zealand's and also the one of Champagne, they were offering the guest a virtual experience, a 360 degree experience, as if you are virtually in the vineyard of uh, the video. And it's incredible. If you turn right, you see what's going on right. If you look up, you see the sky. If you look down, you see the soil. And if you look 
left and right, you see what's going on as if you are in uh, the vineyard. JC Viennes will be back with more tales from the vineyard next week. Before pulling a book off my bookshelf, let's get Chef Mike Van Warmelo to test this week's gadget. It's an interesting looking thing. It's a cutting edge in peeling fruit, a citrus peeler. Now, I've never used one of these. Being a bit of the older generation, we were just told to use our hands or, you know, if we were allowed to use a knife when we were kids, we could. But uh, I've got these little discs. They're very small and they've just got a little hooked blade, a little bit like a parrot beak, you could call it. And I suppose the idea is to help you peel your orange without, you know, making too much of a mess. Um, it, it did say on the packet, it's dishwasher safe and this is not a toy. Keep away from children and pets. So I don't know why you'd give it to your pet, but anyway. Um, my dog hates oranges. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm going to try this out. They're just very small. They fit in between your forefinger and your thumb. And uh, I assume that's how you grip it. I think the idea is that you cut into your orange without having to cut into your fruit too much. Now, there were no instructions, so I'm assuming I can do it any way I like. But that being said, on the picture, they've done a sort of a spirally one, but I'm doing sort of segment wedges, and I'm assuming we can then just peel off the pieces without making too much of a mess. Actually, it's not too bad. Seems to have... uh, not cut into the fruit too much. Now, I want to actually try it on the lemon the way it is in the picture and see if we can't get it to look more like, oh, I see. So you hold it between the skin and the flesh of the fruit. And actually, although we've got a little bit of juice, we're getting it uh, off the fruit, yeah. It's not too bad. Yeah, okay. Uh, All right. Well, you know, I suppose it is working. As a chef, it's quite clean. Yeah, uh, I'd give it a sort of a 6 out of 10. We're getting peels off. Um, Yeah, a citrus peeler. Not having seen one before, although I seem to keep going back to my hands, I think that's just me being uh, old school. God gave us hands. I think that's the easiest way to peel your citrus. (laughs) Now, let's talk a bit about this week's book, Make It Ahead, by the barefoot contessa Ina Garten. The dust cover of the book promises that it'll answer the question most asked of Ina Garten. Can I make it ahead? It's a pretty interesting premise for a cookbook theme, and in my own mind, I went to very strange places wondering if I'd ever consider writing a book about questions I'm most asked. The humorous gene in me then went to questions that some of my fellow chefs are constantly asked too. Does it contain gluten? Is that a book by Gregoire Michaud? Can fried chicken be healthy? Would Jack Carson ever write that book? All that being said, a good cookbook 
is aimed at an audience, and those who do entertain at home do want to be as prepared as they possibly can be. Nobody likes cooking for friends with the risk of it ending up being rubbish through last-minute failures. This book was a first for me in many respects. One, it was a gift from a person who shall forever remain nameless. Two, it's a book that's never at the front of my mind when I entertain at home. And three, it's the first cookbook I've ever seen that starts with a recipe for cooking your own dog biscuits. Yes, I kid you not. And if that isn't the biggest clue ever to how this review is going to go, you deserve to be parted of your hard-earned cash the next time you go into a bookshop. Thankfully, the whole wheat peanut butter dog biscuits are swiftly followed by a few cocktail recipes. Reading this book, I was starting to suspect that I'd need more than a few stiff drinks to get through it. The book has the usual suspects as hooks. I mean, how can a cookbook be published after 2014 and not have bloody kale chips? And yes, there's a Caesar salad recipe with a twist. This time with a big chunk of blue cheese, boiled eggs and large slices of toasted baguette. I mean, why not just call it a blue cheese salad? On my favourite fromage, the production team of this book must have got a discount on Roquefort because it very quickly appears with figs, then again with iceberg and another salad a few pages later. In fact, of the eight starter recipes, seven include cheese. So if you hate cheese, this isn't a book for you. If you are rather traditional and believe a twist is okay, but approaching recipes like a game of twister is wrong, then yes... This book isn't for you. Unless, of course, a dish like summer paella salad appeals to you. Halfway through the book, I was asking the sweet baby Jesus to spare me, please, because there's even a roast chicken panzanella, inspired by the late Judy Rogers of the Zuni Cafe. Now, having eaten the chicken at that famous San Francisco restaurant and also owning that restaurant's great cookbook and having prepared many of the recipes from it, all I could do is sigh, hope that there is a God out there, and drink more heavily. For me, this isn't a great book, even if I got it for free. But who am I really to say? Ina Garten has published nine cookbooks. She has a television career centered around cooking and entertaining, so maybe it's what people like. If you are one of those people, I have a copy looking for a good home. And on that note, let's head over to the Amber Kitchen and chat to Chef Richard Ekebus about one of his favourite cook-at-home, and not from a book, chicken dishes. This is actually one of my favourite dishes because it's, it's actually very easy to do. Um, all you need is a very good corn-fed chicken or a, or a good cereal-fed chicken. It needs to be a little bit of fatty chicken. So corn in general, if you have a corn-fed chicken, you have a fattier chicken. And you can recognize it because the skin is in general yellow. Okay, so what we do, and it is something that you can ask your butcher to do it, is to debone the chicken from the back and basically take off everything, all the meat and all the skin, and all hold it together until you have basically one big square piece of meat. And when you have that, and all the bones are removed, it's pretty much even. And if you need to even it out a little, sometimes the breasts are a little bit thicker, what you do is just flatten it a little bit with a cleaver, 
and uh, make sure that you have about a one centimeter thick chicken. Then you put it in a little tray, uh, skin side down, and you marinate it with the peel. You use a microplane, we call it a microplane. So you do the skin of one chick, one lemon. You put that all over, because what is beautiful with a microplane is you get really all the essential oils of the lemon. And then what you do is the same time, you cut one of the lemons and you use the juice as well. It's basically a lemon chicken. You use the, the lemon juice, remove the pips, then you add a little bit of thyme blossom, thyme leaves, a little bit of rosemary, and a little bit of cracked black pepper, okay? And that you leave to marinate overnight, covered under cling film in the fridge, okay? And then the next day, the easy thing is, well, first of all, you need to find a brick pretty much of the size of the chicken. And when you have that brick, you can cover it in aluminium foil so it doesn't, doesn't really um, uh, contaminate the, the chicken. But you get yourself a big pan. I mean, we in the kitchen, we use a plancha or a grill. Uh, and basically, we're gonna put it on some parchment paper, the chicken, and then we place it with the parchment paper down into the pan. We put some uh, lemons that we remove the skin from. We put that on the side just to give it a little bit more lemon taste and they caramelize at the same time. And then we put the brick on top and we leave it to roast very slowly over medium fire till the skin is golden brown and crisp and the meat is still nice and juicy. And the only thing you do last minute is give it a little, um, a little brush. You take about a spoon of uh, good local honey and here we work with bees nest which is local uh, Hong Kong honey and we mix that so one tablespoon with the juice of one lemon and last minute we just put on the skin side we brush a little bit of the honey and I just give it some some sweetness that is very pleasant with the with the lemon okay so let's put this on a parchment paper okay there you go so this has been marinated for 24 hours what we're gonna do now is add a little bit of salt, sea salt. We take another piece of parchment paper that we're gonna put on top. So what we do is we have this hot pan, we put the parchment paper on top, another parchment paper, we put some lemons around it just to make sure that they caramelize long. And we put the brick on top of the chicken. That's all. And now we let it cook over medium fire till it's golden brown, nice and juicy. And the, the contrast between the nice juicy chicken meat and the crispy skin is phenomenal. And it eats wonderful with, we, we, we just add, uh, in general what we do is we add a little sort of coarse pesto. We do some green olives that we chop coarsely with a little bit of garlic um, and uh, some pistachio. We coarse it up, a little bit of olive oil and some parsley, some flat parsley. And we, we drizzle that over the chicken so get that saltiness of the olives, that nuttiness of the pistachio and some arugula leaves, so very simple. And the best thing to eat on the side would be some nice fr French beans or a nice green salad. No, chick, 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 Thanks for that, Richard. Now, I've mentioned before that I spent some time studying and working in Paris, and one of my favorite meals, and certainly one of the best things to smell when walking along the street, is roasting chicken 
and freshly baked bread. Rotisserie cooking is a fantastic way to cook meat for a number of reasons, and especially chicken. So I thought it would be a great idea to chat to Marie Runk, one of the founders of La Rotisserie in Hong Kong, to understand what makes cooking chicken on the rotisserie so delicious. Uh, I would say the main, the key point is the quality of the chicken. And our chickens are coming from France. They are corn-fed, red A, and they are slow-breeding chickens that have been breeding for 45 days, as opposed to a battery chicken, who is 21 days. Also, I would say that uh, the roasting process is key for a good roasting chicken, because the rotisserie style is when the meat is on a skewered, on a spit, and uh, the rotation cooks the meat evenly and it owns evenly in its own juices and allows easy access for continuous self-basting. And also we marinate our chicken in a mix of spices we also import and it's more than 20 different ingredients in this mix of spices. And is it something that you can replicate at home? It's quite difficult to have ovens that have a, a skewer that really do the same rotation. And then, because in a roasting machine, you also have the, the top layer of all the chicken when the juice is dripping from above. As in your own oven, you can't really have somebody putting, basting it all the time. So uh, maybe if you basted it all the time yourself, but then it's a huge work. The taste is quite uh, amazing in the sense that it's uh, crispy outside and, uh, and tender inside. In our shops, uh, we roast all day long, so uh, we never have like old roasted chicken. It's always fresh, and we have standard process for that. Compared to other chickens, you can't have this um, paradox of texture. If you grill a chicken, then well, it will be grilled, but it won't have this taste of uh, roast, uh, same as in a roast machine. That was Marie Ronk of La Rotisserie. Now let's have a little bowl of alphabet soup. In is the letter today and we'll give it a buttery start with the term noisette. It's what you do when you brown butter to the colour of hazelnuts and pour it over dishes, very famously for fish. N is also for nougat, a whipped egg white candy that's made with boiling syrup or honey and a variety of nuts and dried fruits. The N from Nice is the classic garnish à la niçoise of garlic, black olives, tomatoes, anchovies, capers and lemon juice. With the addition of potatoes and often tuna, it becomes salad niçoise, a dish that's loved by most and massacred by many N for numpty chefs with their fusion twists. N is also for nantois, a beautifully delicate bechamel sauce based on crayfish. And last, yes, least on this occasion, is the N for Nouvelle Cuisine, the movement that was started by Bocuse, Girard and Chappelle in the 50s, where French food moved from heavy to light, portions went from prodigal to petite, and prices went from okay to ouch. The N for Nouvelle Cuisine died a horrible death, and thank God for that. Let's break the wishbone in our favor for a change and end today's show with a great recipe from Chef Mike Van Wormelo. I'm going to be doing a lovely recipe with the chicken today. It's a spicy chicken baked in mountain bread. 
with spinach and chickpeas and pine nuts. Uh, this dish is a lovely Middle Eastern dish based on the uh, Syrian Bedouins, the, the nomadic people of the Middle East. And so they, this dish is, is based because uh, I like it because it was a dish that would have been done in a camp oven under the ground, that style of cooking uh, out in the mountains. So it's using a simple flat bread, uh, what they call mountain bread, an unleavened bread, uh, some chicken, and then we've got those uh, just very simple flavours but lovely spices, a sweet spice uh, using cinnamon, cumin, pepper, and something that is really deep to my heart, and I love this particular ingredient, is sumac, uh, the Middle Eastern berry that they dry and grind up. It's got a lovely citrus flavour, and it was actually used as the, the citrus flavours before lemons were introduced to the Middle East. So we'd start with some lovely chicken marylands, the chicken legs. I like to use the chicken legs because they don't um, dry out and stay nice and juicy, and the flavour is nice. There's nothing worse than a, a dry chicken. Okay, we're going to marinate the chicken in some garlic, some cinnamon, some cumin, some pepper, and a little bit of olive oil, just to get that lovely flavour in there. And then we're going to um, sear that off, just to get that lovely caramelisation on the, uh, the chicken, because you know that brown on the chicken is always a lovely flavour. And then on the other side of it, we're going to make the base for the dish, which is a, a lovely chickpea and spinach with the pine nuts. It's almost like a stew using a chicken, chicken broth as a base, and it's really tasty. Uh, so what we would do, get that chicken nicely browned, then in a hot pan we'd use some onions, garlic. All these dishes need onions and garlic. It's, it's very important. Sauté that off. We would add the chopped spinach, the chickpeas, and we'd lightly stamp the chickpeas because they're already cooked. We want a little bit of that chickpea, the starch out of it, just to thicken your broth and, and make the base really nice. So while that's simmering away, we would then open out our lovely flatbread. You can buy lots of great flatbreads from the supermarkets these days. And you would lay some of your chickpea and spinach mix in the bottom, add the chicken pieces on the top, now this is for one person, and then basically wrap that chicken in the bread, little beautiful parcel, uh, grab yourself a nice sheet of um, silicon paper, wrap it up, tie the top, and just bang it in the oven and at about 180 degrees for about 10 to 15 minutes, just till you toast the beautiful bread. Because you've cooked everything inside, you don't need to cook the chicken through. Pull it out, the stew into a lovely bowl, sit the chicken on the top, and a lovely scoop of beautiful uh, thickened yogurt, and you've got the most amazing dish that you can imagine. Beautiful sweet spices. Uh, it's a lovely chicken dish. And to finish off, please go to the Beers for Bacon Facebook page and check out my recipe. That was Chef Mike Van Warmelo bringing an end to our two-part series on the chicken and the egg. I'll be back same time, same place next week with a show all about beef. Bye for now. Ain't nobody here but us chickens. Ain't nobody here at all. Shh, now quiet yourself. Stop that fuss, cause they ain't nobody here but us. And kind of point that gun the other way. And hobble, hobble, hobble up and hit the hay.